Welcome to the podcast of the Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jim Cole, and I'm proud to be the 96th president of Las Vegas Rotary. Las Vegas Rotary's main focus is on youth, specifically youth literacy and life skill development. If you're in town, we invite you to join us at the Lowry's Prime Rib at noon on Thursdays. You can also find more information about our meetings on lasvegasrotary.com. If you're unable to join us, we live stream our meetings on Facebook at noon Pacific time Thursdays. We hope you enjoy this podcast. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today. Uh, our speaker uh, is a local girl. She is, uh, was raised in Boulder City. Her family still lives there. She is a graduate of UNLV with both uh, her bachelor's and master's. Bachelor's is in nutrition and her master's is in urban leadership. Um, I asked her some, to tell me something personal about herself, what she liked to do. And, um, she said she liked to read books on leadership and food. <laughs> so I invited her to lunch. <laughs> I thought that would be good. Um, currently she is the program director for Three Square Food Program, and she is in charge of the um, uh, children's nutritional programs and, um, uh, well, she oversees all of the children's nutritional programs. So at this point, I'd like to turn uh, the microphone over to Dorian Stonebarger. And uh, she will talk to us about uh, her experiences at uh, Three Square. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully it's okay if I float around a little bit. My uh, friend Dave came over uh, right before lunch, and, and he was surprised that I didn't mind speaking. But as he walked away, I said, unless there's a camera. And then I found out that it's Facebook Live, and even with that, that uh, so I'll be dodging the camera as we go along. I'm going to see if I can get this to come up on the display, because that is actually just my... That's just my home screen. I don't know how to do it, so it's okay. I'll, um... <laughs> if somebody wants to do it for me, that's fine. Otherwise, I'll just talk. Um, so thank you guys so much for having me. It is really, really nice to be here. This is my first uh, Rotary Club meeting that I have ever attended. And what a neat bunch you guys are. I've already sang. I have also learned that I can't sleep on top of a refrigerator. So, you know, my day has changed uh, from this point forward. But I think that we have a lot of things in common of what we're working towards. And so I am uh, have the pleasure of talking talking to you guys today, but I did also just learn um, that Brian Burton came about a year ago, and I'm not sure if, uh, if you guys were present uh, at that time, so I hope that I won't repeat anything that he said, but I do have a specialty, which is childhood nutrition, and so we will start to focus on that. I did bring a handout, um, if we can't ever get that up there, uh, that will help you guys visualize a little bit of what's going on in Southern Nevada, too. So as far as uh, the background, Three Square just celebrated their 10-year anniversary, and um, 
It was actually started at the very tail end of 2017, but we did our grand uh, hurrah in 2018. Um, so we're fairly young, but in that period of time, we have distributed 300 million pounds of food to the community. And to put that in better perspective, just last year, that equated to 35 million meals, because I know we don't think of ourselves as eating pounds of food, right? So 35 million meals just last year. And we do that through a number of different ways. Uh, the focus here in Southern Nevada for Three Square is Clark, Lincoln, Nye, and Esmeralda counties. There is a food bank of Northern Nevada that then takes care of the top half of the state. Nevada as a whole, food insecurity in, in Nevada is 12.7% of the individuals in all of Nevada are food insecure. And that might sound low, but in Southern Nevada alone, that's 271,000 individuals. So that's one in eight. What I tend to do, and if you just visualize this, that's almost one from every single table in this room. And that's a lot of individuals, and those are our neighbors. There is not a single zip code in the Las Vegas Valley that is not affected with hunger. And it does range anywhere from 12% up to over 20%. The zip code that we're in today is over 20% food insecurity. So that starts to help you picture that just a little bit. And if we do ever get this up, there is um, also a map that I can show you of exactly what that looks like. It does centralize around our urban core, and that is pretty common for any city in the nation. So we rescue food from retail outlets. We also rescue food from... Um, some distribution companies like U.S. Foods. And when we say we rescue food, that can be anything from it is about to turn, so something that is nearing expiration and a grocery store would like to get rid of it, or something that is as simple as it's not cosmetically sound. And so we get all the funky fruits and vegetables that uh, retail outlets believe that they won't be able to sell, and that is a huge, huge help to a food bank, right? So it is funny to think that, there we go. Yay, thank you. Um, here, I'm going to move to this slide. This is the food insecurity slide for the valley that we were talking about. And so this is every uh, zip code in just the greater Las Vegas area. And you can see that all of them just ranging from, like I said, 10%, uh, or I said 12%, so I apologize, but 10%. On and it gets uh, a lot darker as we head to the center of our of our valley. Um, so we rescue food from retail outlets. We um, also rescue food from hotels now, which I'm sure everybody is happy to hear about. That was something that didn't happen for years, uh, and was always a question of what happens to the food on the strip after or at a banquet of any sort when it is not consumed. And there is a lot, as you can imagine, of rules around that, right? So there's a lot of health district stuff that um, you know needed to be figured out before that was possible. There also used to be a pig farm that made it very easy for that to be the place that it donated to. And so, I mean, it kind of was a full uh, feedback loop, right? So it went to the pigs, then we ate the pigs, and then, you know, it became food again. But... Um, now that that's not necessarily an option, uh, we have uh, also figured out a way, which is um, flash freezing the items that come from, uh, this is the unserved product that is uh, purchased for banquets, weddings, conventions, anything that you can think of. If it is unserved to the public, we can go recover it, 
bring it back to our location, flash freeze it, which means we bring it down to frozen temperatures at a faster rate than letting it cool and then putting it into uh, the freezer. And then it can be available for our agency partners. And um, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. So that has happened within the last couple years. So we rescue the food. We also purchase food, which I don't think that uh, is thought of very commonly for a food bank, but we do purchase items because there are some staple items that are not commonly donated. And I can't wait to see what comes out of your guys' food drive, and I'm rooting for you too. I want you guys to win Uh, (laughs) in all the competitions, right? Um, But there are food items that are are not consistent enough. So we need a lot of proteins. We need a lot of beans. We need a lot of uh, grains like rice. Uh, We definitely want pasta, peanut butter, things that uh, we want to be available to our agency partners often, but is not coming through at a steady pace. Food drives are absolutely beautiful, but you can imagine that when you are putting your stuff in there, that there's quite an assortment, and so you can't guarantee that anything is coming out of that. Um, So that's another way. We do a lot of um, federal programming, so that's also a little bit of my world. Uh, So federally funded childhood nutrition programs, which we'll talk about. Uh, We also operate TFAP, which is the Emergency Food Assistance Program, which is a monthly uh, distribution program. that is run through the USDA and then here locally through the Nevada Department of Agriculture. We also operate a SNAP benefits program, so SNAP outreach. We help individuals sign up for SNAP benefits, which is what food stamps used to be, supplemental nutrition assistance program. So that's something that also enables individuals to go to the grocery store themselves. So there's a lot of working with individuals to also help their situation, not just give them a bag of food, right? Then um, we do have a government affairs department uh, for exactly that same reason, too. There's a lot of policies that need to be put in place um, and remain in place in order to ensure that all of Nevadans are food secure. An example of that would be, and this would be interesting um, for you guys and your focus area, is just... A few years ago, which maybe Katie can give us also some background on how that went, but in 2015, the legislature passed um, that uh, ensured that our most at-risk students were receiving breakfast during their school day. Now, it was already available. It was already funded. It was actually just moving the time of breakfast because it was still fairly low participation. We were actually number uh, 25 in the nation. Um, for breakfast participation, even though those students did need the meal and uh, they were food insecure, switching that time that the meal was served, Nevada went from 25th in the nation to number 7th in the nation, just changing the time that that meal was served. So that was a big win for Nevada. So we do have a government affairs department that works on things of that nature. Uh, For instance, this year we have some initiatives involving senior nutrition as well as some of that um, grocery rescue. But uh, as Tina mentioned, my role is uh, program director is childhood nutrition. And there are some very, very debilitating effects that a child has if they are food insecure. A child's body first devotes calories to basic bodily function, then to social interaction, then to learning. So it's the last thing that they are able to do if they don't have enough calories entering their system. 
So it is very important for uh, 3Square and everyone working on food security that we want to make sure that they do have access to that already available breakfast at school, right? We want to make sure that they have access to that already available school lunch. Then beyond that, 3Square works hard to make sure that we can provide at-risk after-school meals, which is also a federally funded program. We work to ensure that they have access to bags of food to take home over the weekend, which is our Backpack for Kids program that is donor-funded. Then um, during the summer or any other uh, school breaks, but typically known as the Summer Food Service Program, so that there is no break in access because the child will actually not advance to the next grade level if they spend an entire summer lacking calories. So there is a lot of work that we do just to ensure that they are never skipping any meal, hence the term three square, right? Three square meals a day. Nobody talks about that anymore, but that's where that name came from in case anybody ever forgets what the name is. We get called four square a lot, but uh, three square meals a day. Um, we have also started uh, some other initiatives, which are actually more social enterprises. Um, so we do vend meals as well now. So we do vend the National School Lunch Program um, for some charter schools here locally. Charter schools are uh, gaining in popularity. We also vend to the Sunrise Children's Foundation that we affectionately refer to as baby schools, um, just so that we know what we're talking about when we're talking about different programs. And um, and that, again, is all to ensure that that child is getting enough calories because they uh, have higher rates of hospitalization, they have behavior, more behavioral issues, um, there are a decrease in cognitive function because, again, if all of your calories are going to just moving your arms, then to talking to your peers, and then towards learning, it is very, very important that, that we ensure that these children are getting sufficient access to nutrition throughout their life cycle. When we also say access to nutrition, there is a lot of work that we do with regards to nutrition education because access is not necessarily just from availability, right? And also nutrition is not nutritious unless it's consumed. So we have to do a lot of work on our end of not only providing the food, but also talking about it, what it is, what it can do for you. You know, the simple things of making sure that children know that carrots uh, are good for your eyes and all of the, the other things, all of the other vitamins and minerals. I went to a school uh, a couple years into my time at Three Square. It was Tom Williams Elementary School. It's a little bit on the east side. And uh, it was for at-risk after-school meals. They had a uh, grant-funded after-school meal or after-school program, and we were going to start providing the meals. And I went on the very first day of service uh, to make sure that everything went smoothly, that you know delivery was fine, stuff was stored correctly, all the paperwork is filled out just fine. And uh, the kids were so appreciative. They had been running up and thanking me and giving me hugs. Uh, so sweet. They initiated the hugs, by the way. Never initiated contact with a child, right? Um, so they, they were so grateful and so they were so welcoming to have me sit with them and chat while they ate. And as we're sitting there, a little boy stands up and he asks his peer across the table if he wanted to trade his white broccoli. It was cauliflower. <laughs> he didn't know what it was. None of them knew what it was. And here we thought it was a very staple, common 
core vegetable for the plate, nobody knew what it was. So at that moment, I realized how much better we needed to do when it came to nutrition education. And so we had created, you know, of course, a number of handouts. We've tra- we trained every coordinator that we have. We now have um, a registered dietitian on staff. I mean, this is years later. It didn't happen just off of that. But um, there was, uh, you know, a wake-up call for me that it also just providing food is not enough, right? So... As the day went on, I, um, I stayed so that the coordinators that I knew that they were comfortable operating the program without me the next day because I wasn't going to be there every day. And the kids went out to recess to play for just a little bit as we cleaned up the cafeteria. And when I left the cafeteria and I walked out, two little girls, unprompted, ran up to the gate from the field and almost in unison, they yelled out, Bye, Three Square, we love you. And I waved, and I got in my car, and I just started bawling, right? I just, this is exactly what I'm doing this for. This was affecting their lives. Not only how grateful that they were, how much they needed it, and just even to know an organization's name at that age and to be so sweet and to, to go out of their way to even say goodbye. I thought, oh, my goodness, and I... If I wasn't hooked before, I was hooked from that point on, and this was probably only two years into uh, my career. Um, So I do think back on those girls whenever I uh, whenever I get stressed out, or if uh, if there's something that I'm working on that just isn't you know making it through. If there are policies that we're asked to to give our opinions on, um, I think back to those girls and, and also that nutrition education and knowing what we need to do and also who we need to have at the table in order to make those decisions because we can't make them for the individuals that are the recipients. We need to, to work with them. Um, because I was a little off on this, I'll just see if there's anything like gravely missing. Um, this is actually, this just launched, um, and it might still be interesting even if it's out of order. But uh, so Three Square, we have actually just uh, revamped our strategic plan. And we decided to split the uh, valley into regions because um, I think that you would feel fairly comfortable in, in knowing that most community initiatives obviously happen from somebody living in that community or working in that community, having a connection with your actual area Rather than thinking of the valley as a whole, yes, we will still work on the valley as a whole, but you know, when we're talking about Henderson, we want to meet with those that are in that, I guess, somewhat violet area, purple, um, purple area. We want to know, we want to talk to the leaders there, we want to talk to the stakeholders there. We're going to start focusing on areas a little bit more regionally. When we're talking about food rescue, we're going to be looking at grocery stores and is, are the grocery stores that are being rescued from in the, you know, red region, is the food staying in that region or is it reaching all the way across? Because there's also a lot that can happen there as well. And I, I'm not sure that anybody needs to be told the contributing factors uh, to hunger. Um, you know, hunger is just a symptom. It's a life-threatening symptom, but it is just a symptom of much larger issues. Um, so poverty, of course, is, is the number one. Uh, inadequate income is the number one cause of, of food insecurity. And so um, there are, you know, at times, I'm sure everybody's heard that Chinese proverb, the, if you uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that is a 
beautiful sentiment and it has so much meaning, but in order for it to hold merit, we also have to be doing all of the things to actually teach the individual to fish. And, you know, right now, I can't name 13 initiatives that are happening federally that are workforce development or to, to raise the minimum wage and to put a cap on uh, living expenses, but I can name 13 childhood or 13 nutrition programs that are federally funded. So unless we change that dynamic, we're going to continue to give the food at the same time of, of working through some of those other issues. Another uh, unique thing that Nevada has is food deserts. Uh, so that is just labeled as um, a void in fresh fruits or vegetables. Um, it can even be just the distance between it, what individuals have for um, the closest grocery store, and that's over a mile. So if you think of it that way, that is most of Nevada. <laughs> we already named these. We already named those. <laughs> Oh, okay. So how can you help? And then also you guys can ask uh, questions if you have any. But I am going to hang out for a little bit too. Um, but uh, how can you help is usually what most people ask. And that is with either your time, your treasure, or your talents. And so uh, time and talents can go together. But, uh, you know, just being there. We do pack meals every day when we talk about um, making sure that kids have access to after-school meals. Uh, we are packing close to 10,000 meals a day that are going out to Boys and Girls Clubs, um, rec centers. Uh, we partner with all of the safe key entities that are located in all of the schools. And so ten, close to 10,000 meals a day. So simply coming in, helping pack those is uh, very effective. We also pack produce. Uh, one of those slides that I had skipped over does say that um, you know we are distributing over 40% of the food that we're distributing is in fresh produce. Uh, so that gets packed from bulk into smaller bags that are more manageable for families to take home. Um, treasure, obviously uh, money or food. <laughs> that would be your treasure. Um, and so I, I did mention that you get kind of a mixed lot uh, with food drives, but we will never turn down that mixed lot, believe me, <laughs> because those are beautiful things for our agencies to get directly. Um, and then uh, your talents. So if you have a specialty, if you, you know, if anything that I mentioned today, you're like, I know a lot about that. I know a lot about policy. I know um, a lot about Facebook Live. I know, you know, I love photography, anything that you are passionate about that you can offer your time, it can be specific, right? It doesn't need to just be packing potatoes with us. There are things that you can offer that would make that very, very valuable. If you love spreadsheets, you know, I don't. So there are things that you can do data entry-wise that can help us out. And data is a huge deal when it comes to, you know, I'm, the only reason I'm able to give you statistics of anything is because that data is entered somewhere by someone, right? Um, and so it is very important that you also, and that's with any organization, let them know uh, what you would like to do. If you want to hang out in our office and assist there rather than, again, being in the kitchen or whatnot, then we will take you. And that's my information up there. But I do want to open it up for questions if anybody has any. Yay! <laughs> when the schools are closed, summertime and the breaks during the year, where do they go to get this food? 
So there are, uh, between both the school district and Three Square, there are about uh, 200 open sites. Uh, the school district does do about 90 school locations that they are now open to any child um, that needs access to that breakfast or lunch. And then we have about 100 sites ourselves. And then we have mobiles on top of that. So even though the summer food service program has been available for a while as well, and with the school district and Three Square both trying to promote it, it is still very, very difficult. You, as you can imagine, it's very hot. Uh, kids walking to go get food anywhere is um, not that realistic. And so even with it available, we are serving less than 15% as a state as a whole. Less than 15% of the kids that are on free or reduced lunch are also accessing that free breakfast and lunch during the summer months. And so we did uh, start mobiles recently where we take, they're actually refrigerated vans, but um, we pretend they're ice cream trucks, right? Um, they go into apartment complexes across the valley and actually uh, feed the kids there. All right. <laughs> so I, we, we can hear from your, uh, your presentation how much uh, passion you have for this, and I think it's wonderful. Uh, I, I do have a question. Uh, I'm hearkening back to the initiatives under the, uh, particularly, I guess, by Michelle Obama to try and improve the nutritional quality of what's out there. And I recall the press reporting that it involved enormous waste of food that the children wouldn't eat. So you alluded to the education aspect a little bit, but trying to balancing, you know, what they need versus what they'll eat. And then also, I guess, at the same time, there's that other dimension of cost where vegetable proteins are so much less expensive than, than meat. And yet, so, you know, how do you, how do you deal with those kinds of trade-offs? Oh, it's constant. So it is, um, I'll start with the vegetable proteins and then I'll go into uh, Michelle Obama because there is still, I mean, I think that's even, even those that are food secure are having a difficult time making the right food choices, right? Or from moving from a, a high protein um, or high meat protein to plant-based protein. And so that's a shift that I think is, is happening across the board um, just in food. And so that's where Meatless Mondays have come from, different initiatives. Um, hopefully we'll see that more and more. But it is even more so when you're trying to give a kid a, you know, carrot instead of a talkie, and that's what they've been, you know, used to snacking on the afternoon. So it is, it is definitely a challenge. The food education programs that we've started, um, have been really fun. Uh, we have noticed higher, um, satisfaction with after school meals in the sites that do run those programs. And that is just a comfort of food, I think. And, um, there was, there was a halt with regards to um, the the food quality. Um, like they had a stricter limit on salt uh, at one tier, and that actually halted at the second tier because they were noticing so much waste. There wasn't a lot of education going out with the stuff, and so the kids are just believing that it's bland. You know, you're still getting the same um, chicken that you want to taste like Panda Express. And when you're eating it, you feel that, you know, you, all you can taste is the whole wheat and then the salt is lower and it just didn't taste as good. Um, but luckily, a lot of the manufacturers, because you still have those limits, they've gotten better at that too. So a lot of this, this distributors 
for the USDA programs have definitely improved that. And I can say that because I taste test them all as well. Weird process. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's gotten better. It's gotten better. Yes, sir. How, how observant must be, you be with expiration dates of merchandise you're handling? So, great question. And um, I don't oversee the process, but I do know that there are different dates with regard. So, Best Buy and an actual expiration date are two different things. Um, so, Best Buy, it uh, takes away the quality of taste before it then starts to become maybe a little less... Uh, high in nutrients, and so you have a little bit more wiggle room than when you're talking about something that actually expires. There's particular products that absolutely cannot go past their expiration date, and that is um, baby formula is one of them, and I can't remember the other, but um, luckily we're not sorting food right now, right? <laughs> but there is, there is some wiggle room, and luckily the manufacturers will even give you that, and they'll tell you um, what starts to happen with their food product afterwards, because most of it is Best Buy. Okay, so your food that you serve my students is by far superior to what Thank the kids you. get at lunch and at breakfast. The kids in Clark County Schools get a sugary cinnamon roll for breakfast instead of an actual breakfast. And they love the vegetables. They eat every bit of oh, it. Yay. So at Hollingsworth and Long, it's we're 100% <laughs> free and reduced lunch. And so we do serve our children, all of them, breakfast and lunch, and then they get the three square after school as a part of our 21st century learning grant. Your food is like, can you take over the rest of it? Because seriously, I mean, you have fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, and the kids do eat it. Like, I think somebody thinks they won't eat it if it's healthy, but they totally will if okay. it's good. And even the way that they put the food together, um, the little pizzas that they make with the pita, they love that. And they they love your food, so thank you. Well, thank you. And um, uh, that, that applause actually should not go to me. It goes to Katie and all of her schools because the reason they love it is also because of the awesome people that you have in charge of the programs, right? So they're, the one thing that wasn't mentioned is that is um, we have some limitations with our programs um, because we don't have access to kitchens at all of the facilities. Uh, so our food is cold. It's a box lunch. It's cold. Um, if you have the ability to heat it and it is your kitchen, then we will serve you, like we'll send you the protein separately. You can heat that up. So I really appreciate that because a lot of the feedback obviously is like, oh, it's cold, you know. So we try to treat it more like a Lunchable and all that. But that's where the emphasis on fresh fruits and vegetables comes in because we're not heating anything. It can't be, you know, mashed potatoes when it's cold. It's, you know, you're going to do more raw um, fruits and vegetables. But it is ent entirely up to the site leader on how the kids react to that and them talking about the food. And I actually was at Hollingsworth recently. I'm sorry, I didn't see you. Um, but I love that you have the 21st century program now and the kids were super happy about it. And actually a young lady drew me a picture that is now on my desk. So I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> no more food questions? Ah, yay. You want me to, I can just. I got it. <laughs> Two questions. Uh, how does someone qualify for your program, the after-school program? And secondly, do you, is there a thought about feeding the family on the weekend? Is there food enough for a family of four or six, or is it just designed for one child? 
Okay, so the after-school meal program is uh, any school that is 50% or more free or reduced price lunch is eligible to serve it, but you also have to have an after-school meal pro or an after. I keep saying after-school meal program because I say it so much, but after-school program in place, something in, as an enrichment activity for the kids, uh, sports. Competitive sports don't qualify because if you look at it this way, if you're not good at soccer, you can't then also be denied a meal. And so as long as you have an enrichment, something open to the whole school uh, at a 50% or more, so we're looking at at-risk neighborhoods, which I have to tell you, 62% of our children in the Clark County School District are qualify for free to reduce price lunch. So finding a school over 50% is not a hard thing to do. It's actually harder to find one that is not. Um, and so any of those kids in those uh, schools that have an after-school program can go, and you don't even have to sign up for the after-school program. It just has to be available. Um, so we have something, it's called the umbrella model, uh, that is beautiful that if you have those programs in place any, and, and you know, the school is open to it, anybody can eat. Um, as far as the backpack for kids program, because that one is donor-funded, that is a little bit more selective. It is intended for the most severely at-risk identified kids, and they have uh, they do have to sign a permission slip because it is going home with them, and so uh, the parent has to be aware of that and, and make their family in charge of the allergies that are possibly in there. And um, those are all listed out. It would be lovely to feed uh, the whole family. And so there have been smaller programs that have started to, to give groceries to the families at risk schools. And we've partnered with another organization called Communities in Schools to identify those sites. There's about 13 that do receive that once a month right now where it's an entire grocery distribution. So again, that focus on fresh fruits and vegetables and then also a, a pack of assorted um, shelf-stable items that are available at those schools. And it is, I mean, in about an hour, we can give groceries to about 200 families. And so it's, it's fantastic, but unfortunately not as big as we would want it to be. There are currently no federal programs that pay for that, and that tends to be why the, the children's programs are larger. There's, there's another aspect to your um, three square, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> I'm on the board of a, of a house for women who are uh, addicted to alcohol and drugs, and they have a 30-day program, and we get, we, we get food from Three Square. So that must be leftover uh, food items that you uh, can't use for your school programs. So we do have a number of other uh, programs, and it's fantastic. I'm glad that you guys are partners with us. We have about 1,600 partners in different uh, varying um, programs. And so uh, outside of the childhood nutrition, we do purchase food for agencies um, for you to have that. And then also that's where some of the rescued food comes in for sure. So I'm very glad that you guys are partners. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming and talking to us. I would like to uh, present you, as we do to all of our speakers, the Share What You Can Award. And... Uh, we will feed uh, a, a needy veteran with a hot meal in your name today. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's going to make me cry. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, I'm crying, though. That's a good cry, though. <laughs> that is great. That's a great cry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I know um, some of you are wondering why we're pushing Facebook so much. Um, we're really trying to 
get the word out about how great this club is to the rest of the world. And I'll just share with you um, that uh, I was friended by someone from France just immediately after the meeting last week who was watching on video. And we, uh, we were getting about 700 views a, a week on our video. So please, the more we share it, the more we get the word out, the more people in the community know. And, and please do support the chat group and look at the, um, the platform. We have a great website, and it's doing a wonderful job. But we'd also like to make our Facebook side as strong and as vibrant as that. And Joan, awesome. Thank you so much for being such a great Rotarian. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of our latest meeting. If you'd like to know more about our projects or are interested in membership in the club, please visit us at lasvegasrotary.com. Now go forth and be the inspiration.